Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. So it's the week between Christmas and New Year's, Sherry. Try to compare and contrast for me and for our listeners what the impact of those two holidays is. Which one is bigger for you, Christmas or New Year's? Well, I think for our family, Christmas is. And I think for a lot of people, Christmas is. But also, that was some mostly people... a joke because yeah. we're in our our late forties. One of us is even later than that. <laughs> yes, I'm and, fifty. Yes, I get your dig. And so, one one of those two holidays is kind of a non-issue. But I was going to say, even way back in the day, mm-hmm. when we were even in college, oh right, like New Year's was not necessarily fun. And I remember our first New Year's out, we didn't know anybody really where we were. The people that we did know were celebrating with friends and family that they already were connected with and had traditions with for New Year's. We went to some, like, chain restaurant in, like... Was this in Minnesota? In Minnesota, yeah. Went out and we were like, oh, I think we went to, like, a Ruby Tuesdays or something. We weren't going to, like, live it up. We were like, let's go have a dinner. And we were like, we don't even know where to go. We were, like, so new to the state. They probably had, like, a $2 apps <laughs> special or something. Ooh, loaded potato but, skins. But, yeah, yes. and, then, and then when we lived in Chicago, like, our house was kind of, like, everybody was like, oh, cool, let's go stay on Matt and Sherry's, you know, 300-square-foot condo in downtown <laughs> Chicago. But that was a disaster because it was, like, but you and I have always said, it's, like, all the people that don't aren't used to drinking and know how to drink, they go out and they act like idiots. Yeah. So we've always been kind of a stay-in kind of a New Year's Eve family. When it comes to stress and anticipation and workload and family, all of the things that we relate to holidays, if it was on a scale of 1 to 100, I think for us anyway, and I think for a lot of people, Christmas is the 100. Christmas is the one that takes the most energy and takes the most out of us, you know, in a good way, a lot of it's good. Yeah. I'm not trying to be yeah. a poo-pooer of Christmas, but right. there's just a lot. And New Year's is like a, you know, a Friday night where you stay up a little late. So it's like a four on a scale of one to one. Under. Yeah. So basically, well, I mean, some people do have fun and go out and. Yeah. I mean, your parents are one that they wouldn't necessarily like go out to get bombed, but they always be long. <laughs> I mean, this sounds pretentious, and I'm sorry in advance, but. You know, they belong to, like, your dad golfs. They go to the club because they belong to a country club because right. your dad is a golfer. And they've always done these club things. Or they've always done things with their friends that were empty nesters. Yeah. Like, they went to, you know, bought, like, a, you know, skied and, you know, went away. So, it was something they always did to celebrate. But it wasn't, you know, just to get drunk. But it was kind of a big deal for them in a lot of ways and many times. Well, for us, it is not. It is not. And so... We're still at, technically in the holiday period. We're in the week in between Christmas and New Year's. But I think it would be a stretch to compare this upcoming holiday to the holiday that's just passed. It's basically mm-hmm. behind us. And so we're in this period of, you know, the the downside of the holiday, the backside of the holiday. And I am here to tell you that for anyone that's in an alcoholic relationship... 
this is a very, very, very dangerous period to be in. The backside of a holiday, the backside of anything that involves a lot of stress and anticipation and family is a very dangerous place to be. Because a lot of the relapses, this is one of those many, many things that are so counterintuitive about alcoholism. You know, when we talk about the counterintuitive nature of the disease, for so long, I had depression and anxiety, and the depression and anxiety would be relieved a little bit if I drank. So I would drink to relieve the depression and anxiety, and it took years and years for me to understand that the alcohol was what was causing the depression and anxiety to begin with. So I was medicating something with the cause of the, the very thing. And so there's so many things that are like that. One would think that, you know, the anticipation of a holiday that for many families, ours included, involves a lot of drinking, whether it's neighborhood Christmas parties, work-related Christmas parties, or then the family events that the, the actual day of the holiday center around, Christmas centers around. There's lots of booze flowing in all of those. You would think that the lead-up to the holiday would be the most relapse-prone time. And it is very relapse-prone. Don't get me wrong. The lead-up to Christmas and Christmas Day itself has a dramatically elevated amount of relapsing going on and people people drinking that would prefer that they not be drinking. But the backside does too because we let down our guard. There's there's a certain relief that comes after Christmas. And I'll, you know, I'll tell you a couple of stories from my 10-year period of active addiction, which is what I quantify as the time from when I first decided I should quit drinking to the time I actually made it over the hump. So lots of times of extended sobriety in that 10 years, but also lots of relapses. One of my relapses came when I played soccer in an adult men's league, an over 30-year-old men's league. And so just a bunch of guys on a Thursday night having fun. Nothing too serious or too competitive, although some of the people were pretty competitive. <laughs> but after the game, there was a bar in the soccer arena, and we would all go to the bar and drink. And I had done this for years and years, and then I was trying to get sober. And so, and my soccer friends knew, like, it, it, I was a couple of, two or three weeks into sobriety, and maybe the week prior I had said I wasn't going to drink. And so it, it wasn't shocking to them when after the game, everyone was headed to the bar and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head home. I got some stuff to take care of. And so I don't know if this person had had time to prepare this comment because the week prior I didn't drink after the game, but there was someone on our team that actually has, you know, tra- he's a ordained pastor. He has training in being a therapist, basically, being a, not a mentor, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess a Advisor, therapist. counselor. Counselor, yes. Yes, they're not therapists, but counselor. Tra- counts, trained as a counselor. But as a pastor. And a pastor. They're supposed to be empathetic. Right. And supportive. I mean, I know you all, we all have our demons. But... And he, he was a good friend, and so our relationship was not a pastoral, pastoral relationship. relationship. We didn't go this to his was, church. This was a red card player he had a comment, I think. He, he had some temper issues. But as I was leaving, he said, what, are you running off to an AA meeting? And I was crushed. I didn't have a comeback. I think my jaw hit the floor. I turned around and just stared at him with a wide open mouth because I could not believe that he of all people, who certainly if you are, if you're a pastor, if you're in any kind of religious sect, 
where you counsel people, you're going to deal with addiction. Probably that's probably 25% of the issues that people bring to you because it's so prevalent. So it isn't like he had no exposure to addiction. And uh, for him to say that, you know, tease me about running off to an AA meeting uh, was just devastating. And I did not drink that night, but within a couple of days, I started drinking again. And I'm not blaming him. I mean, I'm sober now and I still love him. He's a great guy and the water is under the bridge. And, you know, no, no hard feelings there. But the point I'm trying to make is we like steal ourselves. We build ourselves up to get through what are on paper, what are well known to be the traumatic events, the traumatic experiences, the temptations, the the triggers, the triggers. Yeah. And so playing soccer with my boys and then them all going to the bar. So here goes, you know, 10 guys go to the bar and one goes to the parking lot. That's triggering. That's difficult. And I was ready for that. What I wasn't ready for was a couple of days later when they weren't around and I just felt bad about myself and I said, fuck it. And I started drinking and and that comment was a, a big, you know, had a big impact on my decision to give in and decide to drink. Yeah. So you, you, you let that comment eat at you. Sure. And fester mm-hmm. and bring you down. Yeah. Because you were fresh into sobriety. So yeah. words can hurt. And I think it's a, I think it's, you know, I think it's great that you take your, that accountability piece of it. And, you know, I still remember the comment and I think, God, what a dick. I wanted to just go beat him up for you. I was like, what a dick. What a dick. Well, you've always been very defensive of me and I appreciate that. But I thought, and then, you know, I just thought, gosh, even if you weren't any, you know, if that wasn't your career, like, and it was your friend, how unsympathetic. But that, I think, goes to the nature of guys' relationships sometimes. Absolutely. Teasing each other. You know, that's harassing. But I was like, oh, I remember just thinking, you know, that's, it's great that you don't blame him, but it sure was a big trigger and a leaping off point. Well, you know, and it goes to the fact that we've been saying for months now that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. And the opposite of addiction, I don't believe, is connection, as is popularly believed in the recovery community. I believe the opposite of addiction is self-esteem. We have to feel good about ourselves so that we don't go to that thing that we've learned to use medicinally to make us feel better. And so, you know, whether it's that comment Mm -hmm. or it's the Christmas holidays are over and... All you're, all you've got left is you're staring at a bleak, dark, cold January, and there's nothing more to be celebratory about. Mm-hmm. And you've got the credit card bills, and uh, you know whatever the stress from maybe some family interactions that didn't go as well as you had planned. All of those things building up, making you not feel good about yourself. That's, I think, why on the backside the relapses are so common let down. for many of us. Our families know that we're sober or trying to get sober. And so, honestly, it would be hard to drink during the holidays. I mean, I'm at a point now where I couldn't drink during the holidays. Everyone I know knows I'm sober. And when the bright lights are on, I couldn't drink. But, you know, the week between Christmas and New Year's when nobody's watching, nobody cares, everyone's, you know, cleaning up after their holiday, I could drink very easily. And so that's, I think, one of the reasons that the relapses take place. 
And you know that that's not the only time. It's I, again, I don't want to put too much blame on this one individual and the, his offhand comment. There was also, I think, right toward the end. I think maybe, I think my uh, it's it's too long ago that I get confused. My second to last Halloween or my last Halloween, probably my second to last Halloween when I was still a drinker. I was sober for Halloween. I was sober for like the month of October. And I made it to like November 5th. And then again, it's another one of those, there wasn't anything big staring me in the face. I just couldn't take it anymore. I felt bad about myself. I had gotten over the hump of the holiday and Halloween is a big holiday in our family. I had made it through trick-or-treating with the kids without a beer in my hand. But then a few days later, I started drinking. And that's the exact same situation. So if you're feeling a lot of temptation or if your spouse or your loved one is feeling a lot of temptation and you don't understand it and you're like you made it over the hump of Christmas that was the hard part what is going on don't let this surprise you relapses are ridiculously common on the backside of big events like holidays like Christmas um you know one of the things that happened a lot for you and I in early sobriety is we argued a lot um And I'm talking specifically about during Christmas and after Christmas. There was just so much tension. A lot of it extended family tension. The holidays are a time when people are often together with people that don't live in their household. So, you know, family that you're close to, but not every day close to. And it just, it just, there's just tension in the air. Um, I don't know how to better explain it. I think probably all of our listeners understand and can feel it. Maybe as the host, you're trying to make sure everything is perfect. And when you're communicating with people that you communicate with sporadically, when you're when you're up in each other's faces all the time, there's a lot more chances to second guess each other's decisions and get into the nitty gritty and the details of what's going on. And um, that just creates a tension that would often create arguments and fights between you and I. And so I can just remember lots of times, again, when the dust was settling in between Christmas and New Year's, when I didn't feel very good about myself, I didn't feel very good about my relationship with you because the tension of the holiday had caused us to bicker and argue. Do you do you recall? Yeah, and like I that? think that one thing that adds to that um, level of stress, and I've mentioned it in Um, other podcasts is that balance of trying to make sure that the, you know, the extended family that's in town is feeling comfortable, that you're feeling comfortable, like this pull and this tension. And I'm sure you get the same way because I have a little bit of, uh, I cannot, uh, I can't help but roll my eyes when I hear something that I don't like. I often just, I have to let out my disappointment a little bit like, oh, you know, making that sort of noise. So there would be things said that I didn't like, and I think you would be worried of the reaction and what it's going to cause. So you kind of had to be the mediator between me and your parents sometimes, the way I had to be the mediator between you and my mom and sister when we go home. So I think there's that level of of playing referee. Oh, yeah. And just Mm -hmm. that pulling of alliances and, and, um, you know, so that adds to it. And then oftentimes I felt like you became somebody that I didn't like around your family not even if it was drinking but just it didn't I you know 
the catering and sucking up sometimes or not, not that I wanted you to argue with them, but like speak your mind, but you would just let some things slide. And I'd be like, what the hell? You know, like, don't let that slide. You know, don't don't let that comment happen. Don't let them talk to our kids that way. Or whatever. well, I would let it slide, but then I would come. You know, we'd go to bed, but then you'd be at upset. the end of the night, and I would share with you how I really felt. And, yeah, and so all of the stress, which is so typical. I think there's a gender component. There's certainly an alcohol component, but I wouldn't share anything with anyone that's real, and then I would dump it all on you. Here's mm-hmm. how I really feel. Deal with it. Right, right. And then that would just make me, you know, that would just fuel me to like be like, oh, next time there was a, a weird comment, I'd be like, ugh, whatever, you know, and roll my eyes and walk out of the room because I have a little bit of reaction like that. Yeah. Um, so I just think that it's it's tension, but it's this pulling of alliances, this refereeing that has to happen and, you know. Yeah. Oh, it, it makes perfect, perfect sense. So then here we are this week in between the holidays, this week after Christmas, and I feel great this year, but it, it certainly in past years, in, in toward the end of my drinking and then in the first couple of years of sobriety, it just was not a good feeling between you and I. You know, I think another component of that is, especially in early sobriety, the pull to drink is just stronger at the holidays, not just because of tension and stress and money and family, but also because it's a festive time. Celebratory. And I and... would want to drink eggnog with a bunch of rum in it. Yeah. Or should and I sometimes... say I would want to drink rum with a <laughs> sprinkling of eggnog. With a dash of eggnog. And... And... But I think that there are a lot of times during the holidays where like people drink. Like for a while our tradition was before we, you know, like we would have mimosas. I wouldn't Christmas, morning. No, Christmas yeah. morning. I wouldn't drink ever on a Christmas morning. But then we started this. And I was kind of like, well, I'm if you sure can't beat them, join them. Yeah, I'm sure I'm the one so, that started it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a little bit more festive than Bloody Mary's. Like, you would have liked to have had a lot of vodka with a splash of... Right. To make it, like, just, you know, pink, basically, with the lack of... 10 a.m. Christmas <laughs> nap. <laughs> yeah. But I think that there's a lot of pull for people that aren't even drinkers to feel like, oh, it's celebration. It's yeah. a special occasion. Drink. And then when you think of, like, you're facing the next holiday is New Year's. That's all about getting yeah. drunk. You yeah. know, that's what that that's what the whole point of that is outwardly. I mean, maybe there are people that celebrate different ways but without I, alcohol. I think that pull to drink festively, again, not medicinally, but just because it was Christmas, you know, if I tried to explain that to you, you in when I was in early sobriety, you wouldn't understand it. And if it made me grumpy, because I was white knuckling it to a great extent, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't understand that. So you take all the other tension of the holidays and then you add that and it would lead to fights. I can't ever remember in my early sobriety, you and I fighting about my sobriety, but it's just a build up. You know, you, you see me struggling to not drink and you're like, Jesus Christ, I've been sober for two years. What, are you ever going to beat this? And... And that leads to, you know, the forks are pointing the wrong way in the dishwasher and you and I are off and running. So I don't think we've ever fought about that. That was just an example. Oh, I'm sure often, we have. Often, you know, you I and I have our different from, opinion about loading the dishwasher. We do, but I don't think we've ever fought. I don't know. I got that There's been tension. Dex Shepard from his podcast. Oh, he yeah. talks about how when you're fighting over the dishwasher, you're it's not really else. fighting over yeah. the dishwasher. So yeah. I want to give credit. 
yeah. there. But but yeah, that that's the kind of build up fights that would would take place between you and I, either the week of Christmas or the week after, uh, often. And so, boy, I'm I'm definitely glad we're beyond it. But that's you know this again back to this point. The letdown is inevitable. The letdown after Christmas is inevitable. And I just hope that our listeners are more prepared for it, or maybe as a result of listening to this, are going to get more prepared for it than you and I ever were when I was drinking or in early sobriety. It's, you know, I want to make this point. It's the biggest emotional drop of the year, the period from Christmas to, you know, in our case, New Year's is such a non-event, and then, and then the rest of winter. If you think about it, I mean, especially if you've got kids, uh, Halloween's a big deal. So starting the maybe the second week of October when the decorations start to come out, or the first week of October in our case, starting early in October, you've got October, November, and December that are just build up and celebration, build up and celebration, build up and celebration. Each one's bigger than the previous one, and it's it's like riding this wave into shore, and then the wave crashes down on the 26th, of yes. December Faces or the twenty seventh for our Canadian and and English listeners who have Boxing Day, which yeah. I really don't know what that is. I, but can I know tell it's you all on the twenty sixth. After this, after this podcast, you don't think it would be interesting to our podcast listeners? They can Google it. Okay, so yeah, you're probably right. But anyway, build up, build up, build up, build up, and then crash. Guess what? It's January. The days are as short as they're going to get all year long. It's cold. It's snowy. There's nothing to look forward to. Unless you're one of those freaks that looks forward to Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, Valentine's Day is not all that bad. But there's there's not a lot to... I mean, for me, when I was a drinker, it was like, it's January, all right. How long till St. Patrick's Day? How long till I can drink with reckless abandon on a Wednesday and... Nobody can say anything to me because everybody else is drunk. Because <laughs> I am one twenty fifth Irish, Matt says. Tw- uh, twelve and a half percent. Twelve and yes. a half. Sorry, twelve and a half percent Irish. Twelve and a half percent Irish. Yes. Yeah. So that gives you license to Absolutely. drink your Bushmills. Yeah. Goodness. And my patties. Oh, Absolutely. patties. That's it. Yeah. But so yeah, so just cold, dark uh, winter is all you've got facing you after this build up, build up, build up, and that letdown, that inevitable letdown. Um, it's tough. It's tough to manage. So if you're struggling, if you're struggling as the loved one or you're struggling as the drinker, don't beat yourself up. It's not, it's not easy. Um, I think it's not just common. It's almost universal for it to be a tough time right now. And, you know, the key is to get through it, to not relapse, to not have big explosive arguments, to, to just know that the feelings that you're experiencing and the emotions that you're dealing with, and especially if you're new at sobriety and dealing with emotions, period, is difficult because you haven't done it since you were 16 years old because that's when you started drinking. Um, it's hard. And give yourself a ton of grace because I don't want to say it's supposed to be hard, but it's hard and that's okay because it's hard for everybody. So, you know, the topic being relapse, or pardon me, letdown is inevitable um, you've got relapse, relapse threats, you've got tension, you've got financial strain, which we re- really didn't talk about. A lot of people spend beyond their means in December and then have to face the reality 
in January, and especially if you're spending on kids or family, you you feel it's very justifiable. Well, justifiable or not, it's still gonna you're still gonna have to pay it back. Still and it's still, it. And yeah, and then you sometimes because you get sucked up into the commercialism of things, and like you said, it's for family and kids, and you know, entertainment, and you feel it justifiable, but it still doesn't. You know, those feelings on the backside of it still, you're like looking at it in the face like, oh, why did we have to spend that much money on food? You know, we didn't even eat half of it. And well, and I don't, presentation. Know, if, I don't know if everybody's kids are like our kids, but by this week, the week between Christmas and New Year's, our kids have usually discarded 90% of what they've been given for Christmas. Like, you know, they, they get a new toy, and it's fun for Christmas Day and until noon on the 26th, and they're like, yeah, whatever. That mm-hmm. that goes in the heap of, you know, things that we thought would be fun when we were looking at the TV commercials or, <laughs> you know. But it reminds me of the, the old catalogs that used to come when you and I were kids, and you'd go through the catalog and circle Circles, the presents yeah. you wanted. But, you know, those the... Uh, the bloom falls off the rose on those things awfully quickly before the credit card bills even come. You're, well, and maybe adding to this... stopped even caring about the thing. Well, and maybe adding to this this week is for the kids, there's all this build-up, build-up, and excitement, and then there is this downfall. And if they are siblings, even if they get along, there's bickering and noise and extra stuff, and you're all together, you know, because they're not in school. They're not doing anything unless you're, you have, you know, entertainment outside all the time of the house. So then that's a level of stress because, you know, like this year our kids got out because Christmas was on weekend, but they were out a full week before any of the festivities started. And our teenagers that were in high school were out the last two days because finals and it was makeup for finals. Two days of the week prior. Prior, yeah. So So they've been out for a long time. 12 days before Christmas came. Yeah, ooh, the 12 days of Christmas. All these chores that they can do, but they didn't. I've always loved that line in... I don't. I can't come up with what Christmas song it is, but it's a really traditional, really classic Christmas song. Probably Bing Crosby or Sinatra sings it or something, and it's got the line about and the parents can't wait for the kids to go back to school or something yeah. like that. Um, and mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again. Oh, you just sang on our podcast. Oh, I gosh. never thought that would happen. I don't sing. That was great. I remember um, singing that in choir when I was in seventh grade. So, yes. Nice job. So, yeah, do you know what the name of the song is? Now that you've asked me right now and you've caught me off guard because I was going to say it, yeah. I'll wake you up at 2 in the morning and I'll tell you what it is. Thanks, that would be great. But so, so, yeah, you know, all of this stuff just adding up, um, the financial strain, the family tension, the potential for relapse, the possible it really happened relapse. You know, one of the things we haven't talked about, because, we, you know, you and I never really experienced it. Um, we never had to change plans at the holidays because of my drinking. I was either just drinking and being a drunk, or I was in, in sobriety and white knuckling it. But we never had to change family plans. Plans, but a lot of the people that we talk to and that we know and we get to know their stories intimately, they have had to face that. A relapse comes on December fifteenth, and they decide they're not, you know, driving to Nebraska to see the family because they're not going to pretend like it's a happy little family unit and those are really 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 difficult decisions to deal with and add to this stress and tension of the holidays and 
you know, I guess the, the message is if you're feeling that, if your post Christmas malaise is more than average, if it's related to alcohol, whether it's relapse or the stress of not relapsing and you're just, you're hurting. Um, you know, I feel like this is a terrible like TV infomercial, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, we, this, this, uh, of any time of the year is an important time to get help and realize, and hopefully by listening to, to us ramble, you realize you're not alone because we're telling you, you're not alone. We've been through it and we know lots and lots of people who are currently going through it. Um, but you know, reach out, get some help, whether that's a therapist or a friend or finding a program, finding a group, that can be supportive. We've got our Shout Sobriety group for alcoholics in early sobriety. And we've got our Echoes of Recovery group for the loved ones of alcoholics, whether they're in sobriety or not. And what those programs have done for us, you know, we we are the hosts of the program. So you would think that we're there like just we got it all sharing our knowledge. That's right. <laughs> no, not at all. And really, those two groups have done more for us. Mm-hmm for our sobriety and recovery than I ever be could have begun to imagine when we started kicking around the idea of connecting with people in this way. Um, I, I had no idea how, I mean, I knew connection was important. I knew connection had been important to me, but I had no idea how supportive it is for ongoing growth and making it over those humps. You know, before we recorded this podcast, we had a video call and something completely unrelated to alcohol and completely unrelated to the holidays was bothering me. A, a, a business transa- transaction didn't go well. And just coming off that spending time with people, it set my perspective a little bit and made me feel good because I was connected with other people. And that little problem that was had been bugging me and I lost sleep over now seems like, you know what? It's going to be fine. We're going to get through it like we get through everything else. So that connection is not only important if you're suffering. It's just important. Just you got to have your tribe. You got to have your people. It helps to move forward and do so peacefully. Right. And it's encouragement for you to continue to move forward and educate yourself if you find a good group. And I'm not, again, not we're not trying to be an infomercial, but like with our groups, like I feel like there's always a wealth of information. There's different perspectives. There's, you know, I don't know, just a wealth of information out there. And then you find your people that are going through and you're not going to relate with every single person in the group, you know, but you're going to connect and identify and feel comfort from a lot of those stories. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. So... Wherever you listen to this podcast, uh, we encourage you to reach out and tell us the name of that Christmas song. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Oh, so, like, yeah. Never mind. I, I knew it like two minutes after if you, we talked. If you already know, keep it to yourself. Don't reach out. <laughs> oh, that's no. not true. You can reach out to it if you want. But yeah, I mean, find, find something for connection. Again, I just, I feel so like cheesy and sleazy and advertisee-y right now, but... Uh, whether that's AA, if that's a fit for you, or Al-Anon, um, there's Smart Recovery. Smart Recovery. Just, there's got to be. Laura there's McCowan's got out. a lot of stuff. Holly Whitaker's Tempest program. 
Uh, yeah, there's something. Hannah and Mitchell. Yeah, Anna and Mitchell on Facebook. Um, Monday Night Lives, right? They yeah, but I can't think of that. What's their... I'll tell you. What they had mean. been on a previous podcast, so search Anna and Miss Mitchell on the Intoxicated Podcast. Yeah, we've had a lot of people on our podcast that have, they have their different, own have their, their own, own programs stuff. and their own podcasts and a wealth of information out there, so just look back through and some of our titles and check out some of our guests because there's a you know, that's what we're here to do is share information information in the recovery community that might be overlooked yep absolutely it's a let down season sorry sorry if that's sounds like a negative connotation but let's deal with reality the letdown after the holidays is inevitable you don't have to go through it alone and just know whether you've reached out to anyone or not you are absolutely not alone there are literally millions of people if you feel like crap there's millions of people who feel like crap just like you well, and it's know. it's a perspective and an, an adjustment to your expectations yeah. that we're trying to forecast for you. Yeah. So. Because I, I don't know. I don't feel like crap. Do you feel like crap? No. All right. So we've got five years of sobriety and we've done a lot of work in recovery, not just stopping drinking, but a lot of work on the relationship and on ourselves as individuals. And so... This is way, way, way yeah, better and, than when I used to drink. Oh, my God. Right. Ugh. We're at a better place as far as our own selves where we can handle other people's reactions and comments because we do have that self-esteem yeah, and self-confidence and comfortable with who we are and what we say and what we believe and yeah. speak our truth, even if sometimes it comes out as an eye roll and a big ugh out of me. You know what I'm thinking. Yep. Never don't know what you're thinking, which is what we love you for. All right, bring it on, January. We're ready for you. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to SoberEvolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.